athletic competition. It can easily be broken down into two parts. The minutes or hours it takes to complete the event. Then weeks, months, and years of joy or heartbreak. Finally, the decades to analyze and debate it. From the press box to press row, Donald Ware will break it all down for you with an in-depth look at historically black college athletics, as well as the biggest news stories and newsmakers of the day. It's time to talk the talk with those who walk the walk. From the press box to press row, here's your host, Donald Ware. I just want to see if you're going to lie you're going to love me. I was getting 16 plus years in, by now you know the show. I am your host, Donald Ware. We've got a lot to get to on today's program. Georgia, the national champions of college football. Georgia, the national champions of college football. And why I don't cheer for a team specifically, you know, I had to give it up for Georgia. Like, we've seen Alabama dominate. We've seen Alabama win it multiple times. Over the course of the last, I don't know, six or seven years, it's either been Alabama or it's been Clemson for the most part. So it was good to see someone other than Alabama win the national championship and ultimately it was Georgia and it was a really really good football game not in the beginning uh, defensive struggle very low scoring I think the turning point in the football I mean I, I don't know so for me when I look back at the game and I can I think I can even remember thinking back remember when the score was six to three Alabama was driving had put together a nice drive, um, as a matter of fact. And on third down, Bryce Young took that sack all the way back to like the 20 yard line. It was a third and goal for Alabama. Young took the sack all the way back to like the 20 yard line, and it then called for a 37 yard field goal, as opposed to, um, I don't know, maybe Alabama going for it. Uh, maybe getting a little bit closer, you never know. Maybe you get to the goal line, fourth and one, you go for it perhaps to try to go up at that point, 13 to three. The field goal made it, and the momentum, right? Like Alabama had all of the momentum. That field goal made it nine to three. And I think from there, it, it, it I mean, for the most part, like it was pretty much downhill from an offensive perspective. I mean, there were some plays that were made offensively by Alabama over the course of the game because that was with about midway through the second quarter when Bryce Young was sacked. And I think that was a turning point in this football game. Um, I, I thought the Bulldogs didn't get, didn't have a great running game, really at all, didn't have a great running game, got that huge, you know, 60, I think it was a 67-yard run ultimately um, that, you know, in the latter part of the game. And and last week when I was talking about Georgia and Georgia's victory over Michigan, I'm like, when you look at this and a lot of it was preparation, right? The, the game against 
Michigan, some of it preparation uh, for the national championship game ultimately, right? Like Kirby Smart still coaching his guys at Georgia. Same thing happened in the SAC championship game when it was a pretty much a foregone conclusion that Alabama would win the football game. Kirby Smart still getting after his guys, still coaching his guys, right? Because he knows there's going to be another opportunity. And then let me tell you, the way in which the game was sealed, Kelly Ringo with the 79-yard interception return for a touchdown. Yeah, he could have gone down. Like, all he really all he had to do was go down and the game would have been over. That's how you cap off a national championship by beating the team that was the favorite that beat you in the SEC championship game and has been the perennial team in college football in terms of winning and then ultimately winning national championships over the last 10 or 15 years. That's the way you get it done. No need to go down. I mean, yeah, he could have gone down, right? It would have been all good. That's the way you finish off a national championship game. So congratulations to the Bulldogs. It had been since 1980 since Georgia had won a national championship, has played in a national championship game going back a couple of years ago to Watunga Vailoa. You're going to, rem- of course, you know that name. Uh, and uh, Georgia lost that game uh, in overtime to Alabama. But that's how you get it done. And Kirby Sparks got a really, really, obviously a really, really good program there uh, at Georgia. It takes nothing away from Alabama and what it was able to accomplish. And you best believe that those te- two teams are going to be right back uh, in the hunt on next season. So now the college football season is officially over and we can transition into college basketball more full-time. Even with that said, like I look at college athletics, right? And I'm going to, you know, I'll talk about in this instance, football a little bit more specifically. Do you know that there are over since since August of 2021, since August of 2021, there have been, okay, in, ex- in excess of 1,300 student athletes that have put their names in the transfer portal. Over 1,300 student athletes. That's just for football. 1,300. College athletics is out of control when you look at that transfer portal. When you look at the NIL or name, image, and likeness, it is absolutely out of control, and that's something I want to definitely talk about today here on the program. I want to get your thoughts. Do you think ultimately, do you think ultimately, that college football is out of control? Do you ultimately think that college football is out of control? You can hit me up via Twitter at Box to Row or, or college athletics, not just football, college athletics as a whole. Because, I mean, I'll look at, as a matter of fact, while we're talking, I'll have my producer look up the numbers or try to look at the numbers in terms of how many 
basketball, how many basketball players are in the transfer portal? I'd be, I'd, I'd be interested to know that. I mean, I think they're they're like football. You can be in the transfer portal for a number of different reasons. I mean, you're you know, if you're a quarterback, um, and there's only one quarterback spot, right? So, like, if it's not panning out for you, you put your name in the transfer portal. You know, maybe you have another opportunity. I mean, if you're if you're this kid uh, from Oklahoma, put his name in the the, the quarterback, uh, put his name in the transfer portal uh, for benefits to tie in both uh, both the transfer portal and NIL, which I think both are out of control. Caleb Williams puts his name into the transfer portal because, you know, it could be of benefit to him from an NIL perspective. He could get money depending upon which school he goes to. And you know what? The NCAA threw its hands up in the air. Everybody wanted this, and the the name, image, and likeness deal goes all the way back, uh, at least from what I first remember, to Ed O'Bannon and the whole video game, the NCAA video game deal, and 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 using the names in the video game and all of those kind of things. Right, goes all the way back to that time. I think that may have been the early part of the two thousands, if I'm not mistaken. But now we've come to a point where we have people putting their names in the transfer portal to make as much money as they possibly could. Again, NCAA said have at it. And now we're seeing actually what is happening. I'm not saying at all that student athletes shouldn't be able to make money and more even specifically make money maybe off maybe off their name image and likeness like what I like and I'm a traditionalist I guess I'm just a, a a college athletics traditionalist right I've worked you know for six years of my life I worked in college athletics professionally and that didn't even count the years prior to that when I was a student uh, in college athletics on the in the sports information side of things so I guess I'm just a traditionalist in that manner. But this name, image, and likeness is out of control. The transfer portal is out of control. Uh, and as a matter of fact, so there are uh, over 1,700 basketball players that entered the transfer portal um, in the in the offseason, right, uh, meaning uh, prior to this season that we're in now but of those almost 1500 found new homes so we can talk a little bit more about that a little bit later on in the program still to come here on box to row we're going to talk nba generally speaking but we're going to also put a focus on the washington wizards for my listeners on whur on the Trailblazers for my listeners in portland on numbers fm and on the hornets for my listeners throughout the state of North Carolina. Also, my NFL predictions. Sit back, relax, and enjoy Box to Row Radio and on Sirius X. More of Box to Row with Donald Ware is on the way. Precious Rose Dunlap, and this is my mother, Michelle Timberlake Roll, founder of Marjorie's Speed Jerky Incorporated. 
We would at this time like to thank our new customers as well as our repeating customers for your business. For every one million orders that we receive, our company is giving two million dollars away to the bottom amongst 400 of our paid customers. You see, that's the way we roll. So come place an order at Marjorie's Beef Jerky. Now, back to From the Press Box to Press Row with Donald Ware. NFL playoffs begin on Saturday. Very much looking forward to the National Football League playoffs. I look at how some of the teams got in. Like, I like, I'm happy for the Steelers, right? Like, this probably is Ben Roethlisberger's last hurrah. And for the Steelers to be able to get in, and that, that, that's a it's a great thing. Like a big win over Baltimore in a tough division matchup, right? I mean, but then you had, I mean, what is up with Indianapolis? Like Indianapolis losing to Jacksonville uh, is pretty much, I mean, for the most part, is pretty much inexcusable. And not only do the Jaguars beat Indianapolis, right? To Because you, you go into this thing wanting to win games. If you're the Jaguars, like, yeah, okay, it'd be great to have the number one overall pick a game, but you want to win football games. So not only do the Jaguars win the football game, but the Jaguars still retain the number one pick for next year. And by the way, in, in talking to Jaguars fans and, of course, our affiliate in Jacksonville on XL1010. How are you guys feeling about next season, right? Like, how do you feel about next season with respect to the Jaguars? I think if you get the right coach in there, I mean, there's there's some, you know, there's some players there. Like, I, I, I don't know, like, and, and I would ask this more specifically about Jaguars fans. What do you think about Trevor Lawrence? I don't know that his growth was stunted necessarily by Urban Meyer or Urban Meyer staff. I mean, I can't really say that. Obviously, from a skill set standpoint in terms of stature, being able to throw the football, looking like a quarterback, Trevor Lawrence is that, right? But, like, I mean, do you see that potential in him? You can look at any number of quarterbacks that didn't have great first seasons that went on to have great careers one of the ones at least more recently would be and I'm talking about starting quarterback pretty much from the jump one of those more recently would be a Peyton Manning right Peyton Manning didn't have a great first season at all but look at the career he had as one of the greatest quarterbacks to ever play the game so Jaguar fans want to know how you're feeling about Trevor Lawrence and this of course organization really moving forward but if you're the Colts like what in the world are is going on if you're ultimately the Colts right so some really good games on last week let's take a look at the the schedule for this week it kicks off on Saturday the Bengals and the Raiders and I'm happy for I mean I'm happy for Las Vegas too I'm happy for the Raiders as well I mean that was a team that was a long shot to get in and if you look at that Raiders and Chargers game and an opportunity for both to get in if the game resulted in a tie. And I, I, I know the Raiders seem like the Raiders may have been playing for a tie. I, I don't I don't even I don't even get all of that. I mean I, I I thought like Herm Edwards said, 
you play to win the game. But ultimately, the Raiders did win that game, and it ultimately kicked the Chargers out and put the Steelers in. So two two teams I'm happy for, the Raiders and ultimately the Steelers getting in. So let's look at this Raiders and Bengals matchup. The Bengals end the season on a loss uh, with a loss to Cleveland. Doesn't really matter. Uh, Cincinnati wrapped up that AFC North. And I look at the Raiders. Um, I look at Derek Carr, solid quarterback. No question about that. He's got a he's got a he's got a solid running game. Waller for as his tight end. I mean, that's a solid offense right there. I look at the Bengals. The thing about the Bengals, right? Like you look at Joe Burrow, you look at Lamar Chase. I mean, these guys are young. It's playoff time. I mean, they've been in big moments before, right, at LSU. But again, as I'll continue to say, when you're talking about when you're talking about pro sports and you're talking about college sports, two different things, even regardless of talking about playing in and having won a national championship, different situation entirely than playing in the National Football League playoffs. But I really like the way that the Bengals are playing overall, um, even though I'm happy for the Raiders and what the Raiders have been able ultimately to accomplish. I definitely, this game is in Cincinnati. I definitely like the Bengals over the Raiders. I think that the uh, Bengals are playing uh, pretty solidly on both sides of the football, but I, I, I don't, I don't think the moment is going to be too big for Joe Burrow. He is a cool customer, really good quarterback, and I ultimately like the Bengals over the Raiders in Cincy. The Bills and the Patriots. So this is an interesting one, an AFC East matchup. Uh, for me, I, last week I, I said, hey, I think the Bills are a team that can make it to the Super Bowl. And the Bills, for me, are the team that I think are going to make it to the Super Bowl. Now, I get it. The weather could play a big factor in this, even though the Bills are are used to playing. Uh, Both teams, really, are used to playing in cold weather. I'm not not going – I mean, I'm not going with that, although I know the last – well, not the last time, but when these two teams got together the first time, the weather was – uh, of significance and Mac Jones only threw the football three times and Bill Belichick ran the ball every time offensively other than those three times that Mac Jones attempted a pass. I I, I thought the Patriots at one time during the course of this season could be a Super Bowl contender. I, I don't think so as much now. I really like the Bills. Like the, Remember, the Bills were in the AFC Championship game last year. I think this is a Bills team that probably uh, didn't, ha- didn't have the season that they expected to have. It, it, it wasn't a disappointment, obviously, but it, I think, I think you're, you know, this was a, an organization looking at next level. I don't, think, I don't think they took a step back at all, but I think now, I mean, you know, that defense can be really good. I think it's going to be really, really good. I think you look at, you know, Josh Allen, you look at, uh, you know, the pass game, and then you look at Singletary, the running back. I think that's the key in the Bills being able to run the football at home. Um, you know, again, I like the Patriots. Patriots defense has been solid all season long. Uh, I think Mac Jones is solid. He's got a solid running game. But I definitely like the Bills over the Patriots. 
in Buffalo. So Sunday games, Buccaneers and the Eagles. And, you know, the Eagles have played solidly this season. Solid. You know, Jalen Hurts has been solid. Like, he's done some good things this year. I think he's taken a tremendous step in his second year in Philadelphia. But you're looking at the Buccaneers. You're looking at Tom Brady. Uh, Yeah, I realize Godwin's out. Uh, I realize there's no Antonio Brown. But, I mean, Tom Brady has gotten it done and won multiple Super Bowls with less talented wide receiver. And, by the way, he's got Mike Evans, right? Like, Mike Evans is really good. He's got Gronk. Gronk is really good. I mean, you know, the running game is good. I think the defense, just like last year, I think the defense may start to turn it up a little bit. And it's going to really create problems for the Eagles. I I think the Eagles are solid but not great. Not going to have enough to defeat the defending Super Bowl champions. I like the Buccaneers over the Eagles in Tampa. The Cowboys and the 49ers. So I like the way that the Cowboys have played. I thought it was fool's gold when the Cowboys, you know, destroyed the Washington football team, come back the next week and lose. And and a lot of that really had to do with Washington and some injuries. Not that Washington would have won that football game, but you look at some of the injuries in that in in that Washington had. I mean, of course the Cowboys were going to destroy Um, the Washington football team. The Cowboys, Dallas has all the elements. Run game, you know, Dak Prescott. This is the thing about Dak Prescott. It's it's going back to something I said a couple of years ago when the Cowboys signed Ezekiel Elliott. I'm like, okay, I think that's a move you have to make because Dak is solid, but he's not great. He needs a really good running game. Well, he proved last year up until the time he got hurt that eh, he didn't really have that the running game didn't need to be great and he's been up and down really quite frankly this year even with all of when there's been a, a defense that's been pretty solid Dak has really struggled this year I like the way that the 49ers are playing whoever said Jimmy Garoppolo was done I'll take Jimmy Garoppolo in Washington thank you San Francisco if you don't want him <laughs> Jimmy Garoppolo has played very very well you look at Debo Samuel um, at the running back position, wide receivers are really, really good. You know, Trent Williams on that offensive line is good. And that defense is is very, very solid. I like the 49ers in this football game over the Cowboys in Dallas or in Arlington, as it were. The Chiefs and the Steelers. I mean, the line that I saw, the the original line I saw was the Chiefs by 13. I mean, I would take the points. If I was a betting man, I definitely would take the points. The Chiefs, I mean, it's going to be a closer game. I mean, I think the Chiefs will win. Um, But the Steelers are going to play loose. Big Ben, yeah, I've had a chance to really – I had a chance to sit down and really watch him play last week. He made some great throws against Baltimore when they were really needed. But, yeah, I think his his time is up. yeah, the Chiefs haven't been great this year, but they've been good. And, I mean, I, I just don't think that the Steelers are going to have an opportunity uh, or a chance, really, uh, to beat the Chiefs. Chiefs' defense is solid. Patrick Mahomes has been good. Maybe the numbers don't suggest from numbers we've seen in years past, but he's still been really, really good. Uh, running game is solid. Uh, the offensive line, which was key, uh, is solid. And I like the Chiefs over the Steelers in 
Kansas City. The final game, Monday night football, uh, playoff football, Monday night. The Rams are hosting the Cardinals. So, ooh, this is a good one. Um, I look at the Cardinals. They fell towards the end, but sort of got it together a little bit down the stretch. You know, and this is a progression, right? Like you look at Arizona, it was a progression first year. Uh, you know, okay, second year, better, third year, you're in the playoffs. So this is a really good progression. Um, the Rams, like I'm not like like Matthew Stafford. I mean, he, you know, he's been in the league a long time. Like he's not great to me. Like I'm, I'm, he's not he's not great to me. However, I think that the Rams just have more than the Cardinals because the Rams are good. Uh, on the defensive side of the football also, and Stafford's going to do a, make enough plays to win you a football game. Uh, and so with that being said, uh, the Rams were built for the Super Bowl this year. Whether they make it or not, I'm not sure, but I think they at least get out of the first round. And I like the Rams over the Cardinals in L.A. Up next here on Box to Road, talking NBA with Mike Wallace of Grind City Media. You're listening to From the Press Box to Press Row. That is the voice of Kevin Durant. I'm excited I get to play for them. They support us in everything we do. You know, it's a joy to, you know, go to work and, and know that you're going to be, uh, you know, they're going to cheer for you as loud as they can no matter who you're playing. Bubba Wallace. They feel like I'm throwing a race into the context here. and It's not about race. He's a driver at the end of the day. Everybody's making it about race. It's all about the headlines these days. Not me saying like, yep, I'm the black guy here. You're going to stop hearing about me. It was more along the lines of the fans like, hey, it's cool. I've been dealing with that for, for a while. He's Spike Lee. Thank you. I haven't heard that. I mean, I've been on rails all over the nation. Thank you for that question. I'm a third generation Morehouse man. I was taught to speak your truth and that there's very special about being a Morehouse man, the same way you feel about your school, the same way we feel all about our respective historic black colleges. That would have been my first choice anyway, and I'm proud to be a Morehouse man. I'm talking about none other than Serena Williams. That was definitely one of the better matches I've ever played. I've had it just like that. You know, I was really focused, just really, you know, excited. That is the voice of Steph Curry. Your progress from Davidson to now with Golden State. Where I've come from in high school into a small D1 college at Davidson. And, uh, it's a great story, and uh, I'm just having fun, you know, living my dream and riding the ride. Ron Rivera, you know, a great player. Did you see yourself as a coach? I've been told a lot of times by a lot of people, boy, you know, you're kind of like a coach on the field. I always felt at some point, yeah, I'd probably get into coaching. It all started because of my son wanting to play football. The one and only Michael Strahan. Always good to talk to you. Hopefully next time it won't be, what, 14 years. You get to <laughs> Man, you know what is good? And, and, and uh, you're encouraging people to be better and do better. And, and that's what I love, man. So thank you. I appreciate you. I'm talking about none other than common. Well, I ended up in Sam just because I wanted to major in business. And Sam, you had the illustrious school of business. Then I found out that business was the key. That's what I wanted to do. Dave Roberts, manager of the LA Dodgers, to be person of color and be the manager of the Dodgers. What does that mean to you? Well, I think the first thing that comes to me is responsibility. With recency and, and kind of the social, the racial issues that we're having that really come to light, which is, I believe, are good things. I think that it's a responsibility for me to be the first manager of color for the Dodgers. There's not many of us in baseball. To do things the right way, to hopefully give others, other people of color, opportunities. Hopefully it just paves the way. So I think that for me, I, I definitely look at it as responsibility, but something I'm willing to undertake. Omari Hartwick. And that's crazy that you say that. I got one of your colleagues and one of your contemporaries and that being Stephen A. He hit me about three weeks 
ago and he texted me and he said, oh, how did I miss this one? But it's equally been a beautiful thing for me to see how much you guys who work in sport are fans of me. But for you to like it as much as Stephen A said he liked it and all within the last three weeks, you both are commenting on it. I'm in good company. We're, we're HBCU guys, you know, I know I'm in good oh, company. Of course, bro. <laughs> Shout out to Howard University. NBA All-Star Chris Paul. That was great to bring it back to Winston-Salem State University, a black college. Something that my city had never seen before, may never see again. And just having a up-close and personal feeling with LeBron James, Kevin Durant, Melodes. It was exciting. I'm grateful for those guys coming out. She's Simone Biles. Actually, really fun. Like, to be honest, me and Allie had a lot of fun. We were like, oh, of course, like, we're the best shape of our lives. We're feeling confident about our body, and we hope that other young girls and women, like, feel that being strong is so beautiful. So that's what we kind of try to do. Greatest football player to ever play, Jim Brown. Muhammad Ali was a principal person in the country at the time and he stood up and said that he was not going to the service because it was against his religion. Mm -hmm. All the top black athletes together along with Carl Stoke, the first black mayor of a major city. So I'm glad you brought that particular incident up. Snoop Dogg is on the mic. Pay attention. Oh man, thank you for having me play in a real way. I mean, I'm so honored. Snoop, you football league has done so many wonders. We got over 200 kids that have graduated from high school. We have over 50 kids that have grown at Division One. Kyrie Irving Playing at Duke for Coach K, what was that like and how that prepared you for the league now? Playing 11 games, you know, a lot of people think that's not a you know, big package for you to become a better player, but for me it was. Playing for Coach K, he gave me the keys to, to the car and I was driving it in first eight games and you know, being a part of something special like that and having the brotherhood built at an institution such as that one is an experience that you never forget. Ice Cube has been our guest. Hey man, thanks for letting me talk a little music, movies, and sports. Hey, my favorite three topics. From the press box to press row is the sports talk show that is the voice and the talk of HBCU sports with a flair for pro sports talk and entertainment. Check the show out online at www.boxtorow.com. That's from the press box to press row. Real relevant radio. All right, let's talk some NBA here on Box to Row. And we're joined, of course, by Mike Wallace. He's the senior editor of Grind City Media has been covering the league for many, many years, knows it in and out, and he joins us here on Box Row. Happy New Year to you, Mike. Welcome back to the program. Hey, hey Happy New Year to you too, man, and to all of the listeners out there. I mean, it's, it's 2022, so we're going we're gonna to turn this thing up and uh, get this thing healthy and safe and, uh, and get back to as best as normal and whatever the new normal is, man. We're going to get there this year, so I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, a lot to get to, man. Let's start with the Grizzlies, the team that you cover. I mean, you talk about one of, if not the hottest team in the league. The Grizzlies are getting it done. We know about John Morant, but it's not just John Morant uh, that has led to the success for the Grizzlies. No, it's, not, it's, it's John Morant beyond. It's John Morant and the culture uh, that the Grizzlies have established. It's that teamwork, that next man up mentality uh you know what the grizzlies have done during this double digit win streak that they've had is and this is the longest they were on the longest winning streak in franchise history so to do that it, it took a lot man because you know taylor jenkins the head coach has missed a handful of games now uh being in health and safety protocols um you know john morant missed 12 games earlier this season uh 13 games overall and the team is 11 and 2 uh in that stretch when when ja was out you know so then you look at you know, uh, Dylan Brooks, you know, the second, third leading scorer of the team is out. Steven Adams has been out. Um, so they've been down two or three starters 
um, throughout this stretch, throughout this streak. And every time somebody's needed to step up, the next guy has been able to step up and produce. So when you talk about Ja Morant, Jaron Jackson Jr. has emerged as one of the top defensive players quietly in this league uh, in terms of his impact. Um, you go beyond that, you know, you look at Desmond Bain, a second-year guy who could be the most improved player in the league when you when you look at how he's been able to impact his team. So, you know, when you look at all of these guys and the collective effort that you're seeing from this team, coming from the, one of the smallest markets in the league, it's no wonder that they're catching some teams by surprise now because you look up and now all of a sudden, you know, the Grizzlies are in the top three, top four in the Western Conference. Yeah, is this something, you know, when you have a, a, a star player like, a John Moran. I mean, it, 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 it means everything. As a matter of fact, you really need it when you're talking about the NBA and having success and competing for championships. Is this something you feel like this is the year that the Grizzlies can sustain that and to the point continue to be top three, top four in the Western Conference? I, I feel like they've, they've given themselves enough of a cushion uh, when you look at, you know, going into to being able to host at least the first round of a playoff potentially. Um, you know, so, I mean, we still haven't reached the all-star break yet, but when you look at the standings, the Grizzlies are, you know, four, five, six games uh, ahead of the fifth-place team. Um, and so they have enough of a cushion to, to stay up in that top four uh, range right alongside Golden State and Phoenix and Utah. So it's almost like there's a separation, uh, you know, once you get past that four and then you go down to five through six or seven, and then there's another separation after that. So, you know, can they sustain it? You know, it's it's – you, you would say, well, if they could stay healthy, but even though they haven't been completely healthy, they've still been able to play well. You know, um, you know can, they, can they get through the tougher parts of the schedule? Well, they, they went to Brooklyn and, and knocked off Brooklyn. They went to Cleveland and beat Cleveland on a back-to-back the next day. Then they went uh, West Coast and swept the Lakers and the Clippers, um, outplayed LeBron twice. I mean, this is a team that has two victories over the Lakers, two victories over Golden State, uh, which had the best record in the league, and they've also won – uh, beating Phoenix at Phoenix. So, you know, there, there's not a team in the league that these Grizzlies fear in terms of not being able to match up with. And when you can play like that and you play defensively every night, um, yeah, you, you feel like you have a formula to su- sustain some of the success that you've had. Mike Wallace, senior editor of Grind City Media, covers the has covered the NBA for many, many years. He joins us here to talk NBA on Box to Row. Let's stay out west. Look at the Portland Trailblazers, man, and it didn't really improve in the offseason in terms of getting Damian Lillard some help. And now you look and he, and Damian Lillard's going to have surgery, could be out for up to two months. Would it, I mean, does Lillard ultimately stay in Portland? Do they make the trade? What ultimately happens with Lillard? This is an interesting situation because, you know, obviously they've been without C.J. McCollum for you know, the first half of the season. And now they're going to look at basically the second half of the season without Damian Lillard. And, you know, they, they went through the coaching change and, you know, the controversy uh, surrounding Chauncey Phillips and how he was hired. Uh, they parted ways with the, uh, with the GM. Um, so there's, there's some upheaval going on in Portland right now. Um, you know, a lot of office uh, front office shakeups going on and, and things of that nature. So this isn't really a good time uh, for the trailblazers. This is the, They've been traditionally one of the most stable franchises that we've had in the league, and now they're the opposite of that. You know, there's some instability there. Um, the roster is underperforming, and you got to wonder if this is the beginning of what needs to probably be uh, a massive overhaul and a rebuild of that roster. You know, um, Damian Lillard has come out and said he's loyal. He wants to stay. Um, 
<clears throat> but you all of the rumblings are that hey they might have to deal them and so it's it's a real uncomfortable situation there and uh, and we'll see but I I don't think that this is I think this is the beginning of a lot of changes that you're going to see in Portland and uh that's there's no shame in that I mean they've been consistent for a long time they've had a nice run of playoffs um you know they got to the Western Conference Finals once with this team and uh they just couldn't get over the hump but you know, at the end of the day, I don't think Damian Lillard has anything to be ashamed of in terms of what his tenure has been uh, in Portland, regardless of where it goes from here. You covered LeBron in Miami. You you know LeBron. Uh, what do you make of what LeBron is doing uh, in, what, age 36, 37? Uh, 37, 37, yeah. as the Lakers <laughs> just uh, just not a, very, not a very good team right now. But he is playing extremely well. Yeah, he didn't do all of this to turn back the clock. Like, like you know, do you do you marvel at LeBron James because he's 37 years old, still performing like he's 27? And, you know, and, and he will be the first to tell you, you know, these are stats that, you know, don't really matter to him. You know, he he has a standard that he has to play to. But in terms of statistics, it's, it's one of those things where he's not built to carry this team. He didn't go to L.A. to to, to, to basically revert back to being in Cleveland mode you know, in his first four or five years. Like, that that was one of those situations where, you know, he got away from Cleveland because he wanted to be on teams that he can, you know, have peers alongside of. And, and it's frustrating for him. You know, I, I know in Miami when he was with the Heat, you know, one of the things that, you know, he never really came out and talked about it a lot. But his most unhappy point was walking into the locker room on, on game night and not really knowing if, if Dwayne Wade was going to be healthy enough with his knee issue to play that night or not knowing if Chris Bosh was going to be able to go because of some other issues or things of that nature. So and he would still go out there and do his job, play like an MVP, put up all these numbers. But he always felt like, man, this is not what I signed up for. This is not what why I did it. And he was at his happiest, obviously, when he was able to activate, you know, those top-tier teammates. So I'm saying that to say his numbers are always going to be there. But at 37 years old, we're asking too much of LeBron James to be able to carry the Lakers and keep them you know, in championship championship contention. There's some guy, Anthony Davis has had injury issues throughout his career, um, nagging issues, and now he having, he's having these prolonged issues. And you don't want to fault a guy for being hurt. It is what it is. But but your track record and, and your, your, your history says who you are. And Anthony Davis has been one of those players where physically you just can't really rely on him as much as you would like to. When he's, when he's healthy, he's one of the top ten players in the league. But he's been spending too much time, you know, recovering and in rehab, and and that's that's not a good look for the Lakers because they won't be able to reach anywhere near their potential if Anthony Davis isn't the best player on the roster in terms of production. Mike Wallace is the senior editor of Grind City Media. He joins us here on the program. Follow him on Twitter at my Mike Check. I look at the Eastern Conference, Mike, and I'm like, what a difference a year makes because if you look at the top twelve teams or 10 to 12 teams right now all have winning records where that definitely wasn't the case, not only last year, but maybe the last several years. I look at the Hornets playing some solid basketball. Your thoughts on the Hornets? I mean, you obviously LaMelo Ball, but Miles Bridges is really coming into his own, not just a dunker, but a guy that can get you buckets, can play some D. And then I like the also the addition of a Kelly Oubre Jr. as a guy that can spot up and knock down some three-pointers for you. I think Oubre was the guy that, that put these guys over the top. And, and he's, the, you know, the player that, you know, now you start to put these pieces together. And, and we talked about Gordon Hayward. We talked about, you know, Rozier coming in and, and being that tough guy that's going to be able to, 
you know, get you some of the tough buckets off the dribble when you need them. Um, we talked about LaMelo obviously uh, uh, raising his game and being, you know, rounding out and activating these other guys. Bridges has become, you know, a very, very solid player. Uh, PJ is, 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 is doing his thing when he's healthy. Um, you know, and, and then when you, like I said, Oubre was the one that they needed to be that wild card guy, that relief bucket option. Uh, the other week, you know, he had, uh, I think, what, seven, eight, nine three-pointers. I mean, he was he was, he was was hot I mean, he, when they set that uh, franchise record with 24 three-pointers playing in that game a couple weeks ago. So, you know, it was against Detroit. And, you know, it's it's they're, they're a fun team to watch, man. I mean, Charlotte has got – they've always had that schizophrenic nature in terms of how they play. You know, one night they can beat anybody in the league. The next light, night they can lose by 30 to anyone in the league. And Kimba Walker in that era always made them fun because they felt like they were a walk-off shot away from pulling off an upset every single night. But now they're, they're just a team that you want to go out there and see get up and down the court. Um, they play well on both ends. They still need, I think, a little bit more production inside from a, from a solidified big. But having said that, you know, this is going to be a fun team to watch continue going down towards this playoffs. And they're also not going to be a fun team to play against um, if they have to go up against a, a top three or four seed that seed better be careful because Charlotte can sneak up on you and bite you for sure, especially with their ability to shoot and get streaky from three-point range based on the guys that you've mentioned. So I'm, I'm going to definitely be keeping my eye on the Charlotte Hornets and seeing how far they can take this thing because I do believe that they're ready to take the next step. And then finally, the, the Washington Wizards. I look at this Wizards team. Obviously, I mean, it was I thought it was a good trade with the Westbrook trade and what the Wizards got back, but now it's really paying dividends because Kyle Kuzma, I, I felt always felt like Kyle Kuzma just needed uh, a different surrounding, and he is playing extremely well in D.C. I mean, you look at, you know, Bradley Bill obviously is Bill, but, man, he's been in protocols for the second time, yet the, the Wizards are still winning currently in the midst of an eight-game homestand. What do you make of, of, of Washington, who sits – outside of the top eight right now, but it's playing some pretty decent basketball. Well, they, they, there's been an ebb and flow to their season um, that speaks to a level of inconsistency because if you remember, uh, through the first month of the season, they were one of the top three teams in the East, and, and they were right up there. Chicago was up there, and you were like, wow, man, the East got flipped. You know, the standings got flipped, and then, you know, the Wizards hit a little bit of a lull, and uh, they went through some issues, some injuries, and, and, and different things of that nature, and they kind of fell back to the pack. And you wonder, was, was that starter fluke? Is this team, you know, really a legitimate team that's going to make some noise? I think when they are healthy, they are dangerous because Bill gives you the ability to be a clutch finisher and a clutch shooter. And then you have some depth with uh, the other guys. Kuzma's fitting in really, really well. You know, um, Kentavious Caldwell-Pope and, you know, some of the guys that they've gotten in all these trades. You know, they have some pieces, man. And, and they have, on any given night, you got four or five guys that are capable of putting up 20 points. Easy on that team like they, they can have a different leading score um or second leads because bill is going to lead them most of the way but they can have a different second leading score getting you 20 um every single night if they wanted to and when, when you have that kind of balance i think they got away defensively from where they were at the beginning of the season i think they need to get back a little bit more defensively sound and, and west Unsell jr is gonna, definitely going to be able to pull them back uh, in, in the right direction when it comes to that because that's what his bread and butter is um i do like the wizards i do think that you know, they're one of those teams that you kind of got to keep an eye on. Um, you know, they, they remind me of, in a way of, of, of Atlanta and what Atlanta did last year. You know, they were a team that kind of hung around, hung around, hung around, and then when the playoffs came, they hit their, their peak at the right time. And I think the Wizards do have another peak in them, especially if they can get Bill back and get his legs under him as they get ready for the stretch run coming out of All-Star break next month. 
Check out his work at GrindCityMedia.com. Also follow him on Twitter at MyMikeCheck. He is Mike Wallace talking NBA with us here on Box to Row. Mike, appreciate the time, man. We'll catch up with you real soon. Hey, let's do it again soon, Don. I appreciate it, brother. Thanks a lot, man. We appreciate you, Mike. Miami head men's basketball coach Jim Laranega is up next. The old renaissance is the new renaissance. Standing on tradition while embracing the spirit of distinction. This is the Harlem Brewing Company. Uniquely crafted beer brewed to deliver a taste, a sound, and a feeling that can only be described in one way. Harlem style. So come and take a trip on the A-Train with our Harlem Sugar Hill Golden Ale and our Harlem Renaissance Whitby, the neighborhood original. Sponsored by Harlem Beer Distributing North Carolina. Served in total wine all over North Carolina. Fresh Market in North Carolina and Virginia. Weaver Street Market in Raleigh, Durham, Carborough, and Hillsboro. You can also purchase in Durham at Zwelly's, Saltbox, Sam's Bottle Shop, and Bull McCabe's. And in Greensboro at Elm Street Lounge and Cooper's Ale House. Track down the names making news in sports from the press box to press row. It's Donald Ware from the press box to press row. Let's keep things going here on Pox to Row on ESPNU Radio on Sirius XM. We're joined by a gentleman in his 11th season as the head men's basketball coach at Miami. The Hurricanes atop the ACC with a 5-1 record, 13-4 overall, coming off a big win last Saturday against Duke. Of course, formerly at George Mason and Bowling Green. He is Jim Laranega, joins us here on Box to Row. Happy New Year to you, Coach Laranega, and welcome to the program. Oh, my pleasure, and Happy New Year to you and your fans. We we appreciate that very much. We got a lot to get to. I want to start here. I know you had a tough game on uh, on Tuesday against Florida State, a rivalry game, one in which you fall uh, by one point. Talk about that game. I didn't have a chance to see that game but when I looked at the stats and looked at the box score, I mean, it essentially came down to two made free throws at the end by Florida State. Well, actually, it was a, a really exciting and tremendous basketball exit, uh, I'm sorry, uh, college basketball game that was uh, very well executed by both teams. And we seesawed back and forth in the first half. We got ahead 15 to 7. They came back and took the lead. And then at halftime, uh, we were up by one. And then in the second half, it seesawed back and forth again. And with, um, I believe, about 10 seconds to go, we called a timeout, and we ran a play with about 10 seconds to go. Charlie Moore missed a driving layup. Jordan Miller got the offensive rebound and kicked it out to Charlie Moore, who buried a three-point shot. We were down two at the time, so we took a one-point lead with seven seconds to go. Very exciting game. The crowd was going crazy. The band was playing music. Leonard Hamilton and his staff called a timeout, uh, decided what they were going to do. They inbounded the ball to Raekwon Evans, their outstanding athletic big 6'4", 200-pound point guard. He drove it the length of the court. And unfortunately for us, the official called a foul, 
and Raquan Evans made uh, two free throws with .8 seconds. We threw it the length of the court, and Isaiah Wong missed a three that would have won it for us. So very exciting ACC basketball game. No question about it. Your first loss in the conference, a game 5-1. You're atop the ACC, a 13-4 and four record. Take us through your thoughts on the season right now, particularly, and I don't know if you look at these things, but you were picked to finish third from the bottom uh, in the ACC, and right now about, you know, I mean, we're about, what, a third of the way through the season. Uh, you're atop the conference. Well, what I've told my players and our fans is that the ACC regular season race is a marathon. And it's not a sprint where you get out in front like we have right now, and all of a sudden that means you're going to have a great year. No, it's, it's more like a marathon where we got off to a good start, but now we've got to keep building and improving and, and learning more because every team in our league is capable of beating us. And we believe we're capable of beating them. And for us, we've, we've had four straight home games, followed by two straight road games. And we were able to split the road games and win our four at home. So I, I think whoever wins the regular season is going to have to win all of its home games and then, you know, maybe at least half or more of its road games. Speaking of road games, I mean, you're looking at a Duke team. You go in to come uh, to this area, uh, to Durham, uh, last Saturday. That was a team, not only is a tough team, ranked number two in the country at that time, was 10-0 uh, at home, and you're able to defeat them 76-74. to Take us through that game and coming away uh, in a hostile environment such as Cameron Indoor with that two-point victory. Well, of course, everybody knows that their head coach, Mike Krzyzewski, Coach K, is the winningest college basketball coach in the history of the game. And he coaches at a university that is one of the premier basketball programs in all of college basketball. And they play in a legendary arena called Cameron Indoor Stadium where the fans pack it in. The students stand the entire game. They have a great fan base. And it's a national television audience whenever you play Duke. So our players knew how important it was going to be for us to get off to a good start. Uh, we we uh, know if you fall behind Duke, they can bury you. And uh, it came down to the last possession of the game. Uh, we had it again. We ran a play. And Charlie Moore made a basket. Uh, and then he missed the free throw. He got fouled on it, and he missed the free throw. We got the offensive rebound, and Cam Augusti hit the game-winning shot. And then uh, Duke had one last chance, just like Florida State did, and Trevor Keels missed a three-pointer, which would have won the game for Duke. So in both games, it came down to the last possession, the last shot, the very last seconds, and we were fortunate to win at Duke and very unfortunate to lose at Florida State. Jim Laranega is in his 11th season as the head men's basketball coach at Miami. He joins us here on Box to Row on ESPNU Radio on Sirius XM. The Hurricanes scheduled to play North Carolina uh, on Tuesday. 
at home. You've been doing this for a long time. You mentioned Coach K. Obviously, he's been doing it for a long time. It's his last year. You you all have met uh, quite a few times, more specifically uh, during your time uh, with Miami and the ACC. What are you going to remember most about Coach K? Well, I, I look at Coach K as, as being the premier uh, college basketball coach of all time and that he inspired so many other coaches. You know, not only has done a great job at Duke, but he's also written books. He's, he's produced um, uh, educational videos for coaches at all levels to learn from him, his philosophy, his style, the X's and O's. And he's also uh, the, the head coach or was the head coach of our Olympic team and has won gold medals. So he is the cream of the crop when it comes to college coaching basketball. If you look back to last year, I want to talk about some personnel um, you know, a couple of guys that were on this team last year that are spectacular for you. As a matter of fact, two of the best players in the ACC, Cameron Mcgusty and Isaiah Wong. Speak to them and what they've meant to this team specifically this year. Well, Isaiah Wong and Cam Mcgusty play at the two and three position for us with Charlie Moore being our point guard and quarterback. And what Charlie Moore is able to do is get the ball to Isaiah, get the ball to Cam, and those guys are what I call high-octane scorers. They can really score the ball a lot of different ways. Isaiah Wong is great going to the basket. He's got acrobatic layups. He's got uh, mid-range jumpers. He can shoot free throws. Uh, He's just an outstanding scorer. He can shoot the three. Cam Mcgusty is having an all-league type season. He's our leading scorer. He's also an outstanding three-point shooter, driver. He's got a lot of floaters. He's got, uh, you know, um, an outstanding free throw. And Cam is also rebounding the ball at a very high level. So I'm very, very proud of both of those guys. They're both playing extremely well right now. They're both very unselfish and very hardworking. Great role models for anybody who who wants to emulate them. And you did speak on Charlie Moore. Can you speak a little bit more on him? Because he was not part of this team. Last year was at DePaul. And I think, as you alluded to, sort of the guy that sort of makes this engine go. Really, Charlie has been an absolutely fantastic addition. We have two transfers, Charlie Moore and uh, and, uh, Jordan Miller. And they both have fit in so beautifully. Charlie Moore is, is your, your Tom Brady quarterback. He really knows how to deliver the ball to the other players. He's a great on-the-court leader. He's an outstanding on-the-ball defender. He's coming up with a lot of steals at the defensive end. He's rebounding very well for an undersized point guard. And he has really created a culture of sharing because he's very willing to give the ball up and get it to the other guys. And still, he's an outstanding scorer as well. Jim Larinaga, the head men's basketball coach at Miami, joins us here on the program. Coach Larinaga, I got to take you back. You know, I'm a Washingtonian, right? Like, I got to take you back to your days at George Mason. And you know how it is. If you're in the area, it's Maryland. You know, especially during that time, it was Maryland. It's 
Georgetown, it's UVA in terms of from a coverage standpoint. Then it, it's everybody else. It's American. It's George Mason. It's Howard. It's, uh, you know, a bunch. George Washington. It's a bunch of schools. You really put George Mason on the map. Can you speak to that? And by the way, I must also say that I really had a chance to watch uh, Jason Muscari, who who was uh, uh, your first year, was your, I think your star player, if I'm not mistaken, uh, when he was at Montgomery College, an absolutely phenomenal player. But you really, really put George Mason on the map. Well, uh, first of all, I had a fantastic coaching staff, and they were able to recruit the right, right players for us. One of those coaches is Bill Courtney, who's on my staff at Miami right now. And he helped recruit Jason Muscari, who was our first point guard recruit. He started for us for two years. He was first team all-conference for two years and ended up with the Charlotte Hornets for a short while. And, and uh, he, he uh, led us to our first championship. He was an outstanding worker. He, along with George Evans and a host of other guys, led George Mason to its first championship in 99 and then again in 2001 where we almost upset the Maryland Terrapins in the first round of the NCAA tournament. And then he passed the torch on to several other guys, including my son John Laranega, who helped us in 2001 almost beat Maryland. And then my coaching staff, Chris Caputo, who's now my associate head coach at, at Miami, he helped recruit our Final Four team with Coach Courtney. And our goal was to get all local products, to get kids from the DMV to come to George Mason. And that's how we built our program and our tradition. And in 2006, with eight players from the DMV, we made it to the Final Four. Yeah, that was definitely a magical run, no question about it. Uh, finally, for Coach Jim Laranega, the head men's basketball coach at Miami, and we appreciate the time. Should be a good battle, a home tilt for you, uh, Coach, on uh, Tuesday uh, as UNC comes uh, comes to Coral Gables. Of course, only one loss uh, for the Tar Heels in the conference as well. Your thoughts uh, on the Tar Heels and the matchup uh, that you have with them on Tuesday? Well, I think they've improved a lot since the beginning of the season. They're playing very, very well right now. Baycoat is a unbelievable big man. He had like 29 and 21 uh, the other day. He's basically an unstoppable force inside. Uh, but Caleb Love is playing uh, terrific. R.J. Davis, uh, they've got a host of big guys. They're going to be a real challenge for us. We've had some great games with the Tar Heels, and I expect Tuesday night will be the same. Jim Laranega, again, in his 11th season as the head men's basketball coach at Miami. The Hurricanes 13-4 on the season, 5-1 atop the ACC. Again, a home tilt on Tuesday against UNC. Coach Laranega, appreciate the time. Continued success to you and the Hurricanes. Thank you so much. My pleasure. My time is about up. I thank you for yours. Thank you to Jim Laranega for joining us on the program, as well as Mike Wallace for joining us as well. For more information on Box to Row, maybe you've missed a show. Maybe you've missed the conversation. Of course, you can always log on to our website, BoxToRow.com. And always remember to support those that support. Yo, Box to Row is produced 
by DW Communications. Come back.